This is undisciplined. Academic by nature, undisciplined in practice. I am Dr. Karee Banton, Director of African and African American Studies and Professor of History at the University of Arkansas. Now let's get into it. Now, Matthew. Yes. I'll tell you a little story. All right. In 1721, there was a smallpox epidemic, just like our current time, mm-hmm. where we're having COVID epidemic, mm-hmm. right? And a doctor named Zabdiel Bolston got this crazy idea to expose people to some small little droplets of pus from smallpox patients. So the healthy people get sick, but not as sick if they got the full dose. Right. right? That's how they would get the protection against smallpox. And he called it variolation, or as we've come to know it, inoculation. Mm-hmm. He had gotten the idea, though, from a Puritan minister named Cotton Mather, mm-hmm. who had used his pulpit and had come to popularity and fame by advocating for what had been then not a very popular method. <laughs> Of getting people well. Yeah. But more importantly, Mather had gotten this idea from an enslaved man. Hmm. This enslaved man was called Onesius. Mm-hmm. Onesius, as we come to know him, comes to us from the pages of Mather's diary, how he's jotting down notes about what. Anisius told him and what he did and whatnot. You'll see other, it mentions other records, you know, from the church, civic records and whatnot. But what we know is that he was an enslaved person in Massachusetts in the 1700s. We know that he likely arrived in North America and had been there for some time, but that he was likely from Western Africa, mm-hmm. right? Whereabout, we don't really know. But we can infer, right? We can extrapolate that. He had been inoculated against smallpox as a child, how West Africans had traditionally done it, Mm. which tells us that there had been a history of traditional medicine and inoculation in Western Africa. Mm -hmm. And you see traces of that in other kinds of archival records. For instance, in the Histoire de Inoculation, the Petit Verol, a French geographer, had stated that many West Africans had been practicing smallpox inoculation for a very long time and that we know that the transatlantic slave trade had dispersed these Africans who had known these traditional um, medicinal practices all throughout the Americas, all throughout the Atlantic world, where they continued to share these kinds of medicinal practices with their enslavers. Hmm. Do they get credit for that? Obviously not. Right? Are they the father of modern Western medicine? C- clearly not. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> right? Um, so if you look in like the, the Royal African Society and the Royal African Company, because if, if people are getting sick on the journeys and this is a profit thing, transatlantic slavery has to be about profit. How do we save the lives of these people to bring them to the, to the Americas to work on sugar plantations or rice plantations? 
and make money. We have to get this inoculation going. So these kinds of um, knowledge are circulating. They're inoculating people in forts in West Africa and so on. It's very interesting that we have like Western medicine and we have Eastern medicine and we have these very different perspectives on medicine um, in our healthcare today, right? Um, Oriental medicine practitioners, um, who we think about more of as integrative medicine. You go there, you might get herbs. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot of herbs that when I go to my acupuncturist, I've been to several, they'll give me herbs to mm-hmm. you know accompany certain things. Get rid of stress. Get rid of, you know, if you have issues like, you know, fertility or if you have issues like with digestion or allergies or whatever the case might be. And we're seeing more and more where, you know, prestigious centers, whether it's Mayo Clinic, you know, Duke and all of these other um, prestigious places are offering these kind of complementary, you know, pathways. They're integrating Oriental medicine with uh, Western medicine. Where is African traditional medicine in, in all of this? You know, and that's what we're going to be interrogating today because certainly African healers, right? Babalawo, um, or you might, you know, Adohonse, you know, Yoruba speaking people, you know, practicing various forms of, you know, uh, medicine, you know, traditional healers and doctors, you know, they're using various forms to align people people's health very much in line with how Eastern medicinal yeah. practices operate, where they're using the community, they're doing holistic health, they're bringing synergy between the visible and invisible world, right? right? All the things that we probably don't think about. And so we want to think about that today. And that's why we're very happy to have Anaya Beasley. She's majoring in African African American studies, biology, Biomedical engineering. She serves as an ambassador for the African African American Studies Program. And in early November, attended the Legacies of American Slavery Conference at Centenary College in Shreveport, Louisiana. And what this conference sought to do was to bring together academics, health practitioners, students, as well as community members to discuss how the legacy of American slavery continued to affect the health of communities and the strategies that can be used to overcome them. And so they had panels and they had workshops all from an interdisciplinary perspective and they're, you know, addressing the intersections of the legacy of American slavery and the health, but using a community-facing approach um, to do so. And so she presented, Ms. Beasley, presented her research entitled The Creation of the Atlantic Medical Complex. And this focused on how early maroon communities not only co-opted the environment as a source of resistance and survival, but through their avid uses of herbal practices, became significant contributors to the early field of medicine. Let's talk to Miss Beasley about her research. Hi. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in herbal medicine and all that? So I'm from northwest Arkansas. I'm from Fayetteville. I was born and raised here in Fayetteville. But my family, they're from um, Morrow and Brinkley, Arkansas. And if you know Morrow and Brinkley, Arkansas, population like 50, 
my family population 50 it's literally so it's so small like i think my grandparents were the only like black people that lived there and that's because they've lived here i think my family has been here for over 100 years wow. so like them being in arkansas is because they knew the white people in town knew who they were because i mean they knew who beasley's were right and my family was a bit kind of um I say isolationists, my grandparents. Mm -hmm. They lived off the land. They built their own house. Um, I say a farm, mm -hmm. even though there wasn't many animals. There was, like, chickens and horses, but that was about it. But for the most part, to feed 15 kids, it was all from the garden. And they very rarely actually went to the store. Well, I mean, there wasn't many stores in Brinkley anyway. Mm -hmm. But they very rarely went to the store anyway. So do you think that's where your interest in, you know, seeing how black people use the land might have come from? Mm, I don't know. I think I wasn't thinking about that. I think. What were you thinking it about? It pushed my, hist my interest in biology more. Mm -hmm. I think when you're a kid, you don't really think about race as much until you get older. And you start to see more. But in my head, it was like, I like playing in the dirt. I like knowing why plants do this. I like knowing why this do, does this. And I was always good at science and math and stuff like that. So I was like, why not? So what? when did you make the racial connection? Not until later on. I liked history before I got specifically interested in black history. I had trouble reading nonfiction <laughs> like, this ain't real. <laughs> in elementary school and my teacher she just kept giving me nonfiction stuff to read and it was history stuff I think I don't know if she did this on purpose but she gave me Jackie Robinson as the first book mm -hmm. and from then I just like I loved I mean you guys see I'm a I'm an overachiever I'm a know-it-all so I like knowing why a way to explain or yeah it gives me a way to explain how things are or why things are now and then I think in high school, um, me getting interested in HBCUs is more so when I started getting interested in black history. Because, mm -hmm. of course, you grow up in Fayetteville. It's mostly white students. Mm -hmm. You're not really thinking about, mm -hmm. or I wasn't really thinking about that until my interest in HBCUs. I didn't think about combining the two or all my majors until maybe a year ago. And I think it was because I was doing something in, I think it was genetics, mm -hmm. and they were talking about sickle cell, uh -huh. and he made a comment about it affecting black um, males, or it was something like that. And I looked up the stats, and I was like, why would he, why would he say this? Mm -hmm. And then um, from there on, I started thinking, I was like, why aren't I seeing more of me in this book anyway mm -hmm. when it doesn't relate to sickle cell or other, you know, diseases or things that people think are because you're black, this is what you're going to get. So um, that's how my interests started to come together because I love them both. And I was like, what way can I do both of the things I loved? Yeah, that that sickle cell bit um, can be, I think, really uh, interesting because sickle cell, especially we're talking about medicine, and it's often pointed out as as one of the you know diseases that affects African Americans, Black people, 
But once you study it, right, from a racial perspective, from a medical perspective, you see that it's geographical. It's an adaptation to fight in malaria. Yeah. You know, so people in Greece have this particle sickle gene as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just West Africans and uh, black people. It's an adaptation to people who live in, you know, these kinds of um, climates. So and now you're in this genetic course and you're thinking about all these things. So how did you get from that to herbal to being interested in herbal practices of enslaved people. So basically, at the beginning of this year, I came to my advisor Mm -hmm. and um, talked to her about um, wanting to do an independent study specifically on black physicians Mm -hmm. is what I originally started with. I wanted to see just more of what black physicians contributed to anything in America. Right. And my focus geographically was America at that time. Mm I even at one point, I don't remember why, I think I was just reading books, but I started focusing on cures Mm -hmm. because I was like, okay, if I can't find what they contributed to as far as, like I found some about the first hospitals and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Right. But I was like, "Uh, I kind of want more. Right. So I started looking for diseases and cures here in America first. And that's Mm -hmm. when Onesimus Mm -hmm. came up first. Um, he was one of the first people I researched, and I traced back um, inoculation literally from its from the moment it was here with Onesimus all the way back. And I didn't get very far. I mean, I got far, but it's not where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I was struggling this summer with research because I was like, how is this research thing supposed to go? Like, if, so, if there's a dead end here, then where else am I supposed to go? By the way, Anaya was uh, a part of a very prestigious group who were invited, you know, based on their research at Vanderbilt Medical um, Center for the summer. So that's the reason why she was, you know, doing all this research as well, right, mm-hmm. Anaya? Yeah. By the time I got the acceptance for the Vanderbilt program, I had um, kind of wanted to see if I could apply it to. Well, I was studying, but that was too broad and it wasn't the right. So I decided once again to, of course, I'm still learning about research. And I talked to you and I talked to Dr. Starks and I had to learn. I had to broaden my research again. And that's when I got to the Caribbean. And I had always been um, interested in revolts. (laughs) I love slave revolts. I love everything about them. And I think the first time I learned about Maroons was when I was at Xavier, which is in Louisiana. It's a HBCU. So a Maroon is a former enslaved um, African who escaped. And I didn't learn any specific Maroon community names or anything. I just knew who they were. And I remember being in class and just reading about Maroons specifically in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And they've run away and they're living deep deep into the mountains. I've brought friends to Jamaica. Uh, when I was at Vandy, I've gone home and we've gone to, I have a maroon community in the town that I live, but way up in the cockpit countries in deep into the mountain. And I'm trying to find this maroon community and these people were like, yeah, man, just up there. <laughs> and you're like driving for hours. Yeah. But that tells you something about the genius of these people that mm-hmm. they would hide themselves and camouflage themselves mm-hmm. into the environment. Yeah. And that's what I was interested in. I love the ways that they use their environment. I love that they 
use physical, like the plants that were in Africa, specifically West Africa, they not only use them for medicinal purposes, but they'd use them for physical means too. And I love that aspect about studying what I was studying. So I just continued on and it kind of just, it stuck. I know that when you're doing research, either things stick or they don't. Either things keep you interested or they don't. So this kept me interested. And actually before I studied maroons, I was just studying slave medicine. Mm-hmm. But what did you find out about slave medicine? I found out a lot about slave medicine. I noticed in my research, I didn't have a place to put my what I was researching before because there was already, like, I was studying slave medicine. And I felt like there was so much research around slave medicine already. And medicine in general, when we're talking about it, as it relates to the black body, it starts at the creation of the Atlantic world. Like in any of the stories, all the popular books, Secret Cures of Slaves and Medical Bondage and all those, it literally starts at trauma. And I was like, yeah, is Henrietta Lacks, all of them. And I'm all like, of the is big that, books that you know like, about. is that all we've contributed? Is it only what has been done to our bodies to get, you know, theories and explanations and stuff like that. And I had, at that point, because I only came to this conclusion a few months ago, I had already had a bunch of research and notes and stuff on this subject. It's just that my mind wasn't there yet. I had to catch up. That's how research works. That's okay. And I was looking at all my notes, and I was like, oh, I have all this stuff. And how come I didn't think? It was like literally at the a few weeks before the conference, is when I came to the conclusion, why would I want my research? Because I was following the same pattern. I was starting at the Atlantic world rather than using it. I'm using it as a tracing point now in my research as one of the many tracing points, but I'm not starting at it. And um, that's how it got started. So what did you find out? What about these maroons? What were they doing? How were they using their environment? I will say this has been the hardest... (laughs) It's so hard because Maroons, um, everything is by mouth and they keep everything within their community. So finding the information that I've found, it's been so hard to find. Um, The amount of secondary sources or the amount of articles and books, and then going back to primary sources like journals and like, I've had to go through leaps and bounds to find the, the information that I've um, found. And that's a big issue why maybe when we talked about earlier, why don't we have African medicine, right? Because so much of it is so difficult to trace and find. They're buried in the journals of white people who took these notes, travel logs, things like that, and then it's not as pronounced. So you have to do this kind of a special archival reading right right, to get and extract this information just in the same way you know black people are creating all these rums and things that but the credit is not given to them you know it's given to jack daniels (laughs) any any of these herbs and cures that you that stood out to you by the maroons um, so there is one specifically that you pointed out to me, actually. Mm-hmm. I think you found it on a Facebook post, and I went researching it. Um, it's called, in Jamaica, it's called Cocoon Vine. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and after tracing it some more, I also found it in Africa, and it's also called the African Dream Herb. So in Jamaica, Maroons used it as, for, their, for its physical means. So they used it, you know, ladders and shields and stuff like that. And Africa is a psychedelic. <laughs> oh, okay. It's like it's used like just for your mind. And it's that was when you showed me that. And after I started researching, it, I was like, she doesn't know what she did for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I'm also reading on um, something that everyone knows about mm-hmm. right now. And that's why I'm interested in it. Sea moss. <laughs> Because if I mentioned it at the conference and the way I said it, I didn't mean to say it the way that I said it, mm-hmm. but I mentioned um, sea moss is getting very popular among. It's been getting popular for a while it's, now. It's all the rage for the last, I would mm-hmm. say, what five years, uh, five to ten years. I don't know if you've been to the beach and you see these things wash up on the on the on the sea. Yeah. And that looks like like little twines. Yeah. I mean, you probably had to have had a seaweed salad before, yeah. right? But there's this moss that, you know, is all the rage now that people are blending and putting in their smoothie and using it for um, gummy vitamins and <laughs> all of this thing. So her research is well poised because she is in this period of time where especially black people, given all that they've experienced and you've seen the reaction to the COVID vaccine yeah. and, you know, what Tuskegee experiment yeah. and experimentation hesitancy on black body, that. the hesitancy. Yeah. So they have, there's this interesting affinity with this kind of indigenous African practices. And that's what I wanted. I think for a long time with, I got us understanding trauma, our history with medicine and trauma. But I also felt like it was important that we tried a different method because it seems if we look at COVID that it's black people's trust in medicine is getting seems like it's only moving just a hair. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try a different route. Why not do it through contributions pre Atlantic world? So that's before colonization, before before the white man came and was like, ah. You don't have anything, <laughs> you know, but you were surviving all this time, mm-hmm. you know, healing wounds mm-hmm. and, you know, using mud and clay. And, and that's another one stuff. that I I think I want to put in my presentation for Modern Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, so for smallpox, maroons used wet clay. And um, I don't know if I'm going to put it in that presentation or not, but white botanist, his name was William... Um, right. And he talked about um, how he saw Maroons do it and how he started doing it and how it helped cool the body. So that's another thing I'm thinking about putting that's very fascinating. in my research, too. Mm-hmm. So and if you if you go to Jamaica, when people go to Jamaica now as tourists, you see them getting the clay down. No, but we used to talk about mud baths used to be yes. so popular. Yes. And it's stuff like that that kind of makes me so angry and want to continue the research. Yeah. Because when we're talking about teas and alternative medicine, it's only through other communities. It's never through the black community, even though we've contributed a lot to this. We've contributed just as much. Mm -hmm. So that's why, especially with CMOS, when it's becoming 
so popular and you see these white hippie shops yeah. in California selling it for like 30 yeah, like something. So what are some of the teas that you discovered? I know you've studied teas extensively. Yeah, teas has been my favorite part. Um, so one of them has been, well, the thing about teas is that with a lot of these herbs from maroon communities, how they got the nutrients from them is by boiling them. Mm-hmm. And using it as a tea. Mm-hmm. So if I come across something, I automatically assume in my head, I'm like, they probably, if they didn't wrap it around a wound, then they used it as a tea. And even when they wrapped it around a wound, they still boiled it. Yeah. And then, yeah. exactly. In the, in the yeah. So I think one of the ones I looked up months ago before I even got to this point and I asked you about it was, is it ribose? Ribose? Oh, ribose tea. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that one was pretty big, and it's um, it's not as popular, um, which is why I was happy that I found it. And in some forms of it, you can only get it from, you can only ethically get it. It's all of these, um, you know, different teas and formulation. When we think about the Western pills that we take, mm-hmm. I think about... Um, you know, the generational aspect of it, the regional aspect of it, because I think, as I've mentioned before, growing up in Jamaica and having to live in such close proximity with the environment, you had to be outside as an older person. Mm-hmm. I'm not of Anaya's generation. We grew up outside. You eat the mango. You're walking through the forest. You had to know what plant, if it touched you, would burn your skin. But you also know which one you could put and it would heal it. I think I've told you the story of my grandma. She had kind of like a little bit of a sick stole one time and she cut it off and it started bleeding profusely. And she sent me by my grandaunt. I was the fastest runner. So she (laughs) sent me by her to go and pick a leaf that would stop the bleeding and to go and get it quickly and to bring it back to her. So even as a young person, I grew up with this kind of intimate knowledge of herbs and plants um, because of my of, of where I lived and how I interacted with my environment. And what makes Anaya's project so special and compelling is that here she is. People generally study maroon communities because they're looking at how they co-opt the environment for security and defense, but they're co-opting, as she has articulated, for, um, you know, the herbal purposes. I mean, for heaven's sakes, jerk was generated from them trying to prove, you know, cook while hiding, you know, and the spices that they would find in the environment. But here they're using what they know from Africa. Lots of these maroon communities are uh, are, are from the Coromantin region. The Akan people in, in West Africa may have had this knowledge. And here they are dispersed throughout um, Jamaican in the Caribbean, um, you know, and they're trying to survive not just physically but also medicinally and all of these things. So they are developing an intimate knowledge of the environment. And as I said, if they live so far up in the mountains mm-hmm. in Jamaica, where the the maroon community where I'm from is in the cockpit country that is one of the most biodiverse regions in the world. Right now, the chief of those maroon people, um, Richard Curry, um, who went to the brother's school um, of the school that I went to, is fighting to prevent the Jamaican government from sanctioning bauxite mining. Mm. 
in that community because it would destroy the biodiversity and ruin the ways of life of those traditional people who have used those diverse plants and 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 so on to to heal themselves for food and and you know for all of those kinds of practices so it's quite interesting to view it from this lens things like guinea hen right things like cerisy what did you find out about cerisy cerisy is good for everything when i um i don't remember how i first looked it up oh so when i first started in the Caribbean, I started with the Bahamas. And of course, the Bahamas is small, smaller. And I could only find one book from the Bahamas on medicinal medicine. And it was written by a white woman. And in the book, she says she talked to locals. And I think that's where I first saw Cersei. And I was like, where else have I seen this? And then I went at the back of the AST um, lounge, <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's right here. Yes, I had brought back Cersei mm-hmm. from Jamaica because growing up, Cersei, we used to hate it. It's disgusting. It is very bitter. It's known as the bitter melon or something? Yeah, it's like a bitter melon. And so if you ever told your parents you had a belly ache, a tummy ache, mm-hmm. oh, brace yourself. The Cersei is coming. Yeah. And you would like pretend to drink it and go spit it out it's in the just, bathroom. It's but they'll disgusting. sit you and they're like, show me your tongue. <laughs> and you had to like swallow it down. And it gets stronger. <laughs> it's like you put sugar or honey in there and it fights it back. <laughs> Because it's, it's literally good for everything. Headaches um, for women. I um, A friend of mine, she asked for something for her menstrual. And I was like, look, just try this tea. I promise. It's disgusting. But it will work. And she tried it. And she's like, okay, that was amazing. Yeah, it will kill worms and parasites. You know, mm-hmm. grow and walk in barefoot. You drink that. Lower your blood sugar, yeah. your blood pressure. Treat menstrual cramps. Yeah. Lower your cholesterol. It's a blood cleanser. It is. Right? It so you grew up knowing that. And so you know once your belly starts hurting, okay, I'll have to go drink the Cersei. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the guinea hen herb, um, I was very fascinated the other day. I was at home. My niece was just looking at the roots of, like, I have a bag of plants in my house, like, of of dried plants that I brought home from Jamaica. And she was looking, and I was just fascinated with her knowledge. She's like, I'm looking for the guinea hen (laughs) that she knew just by looking at the roots because they were wrapped up in foil and everything, which one was the guinea hen. And there's massive research going on now on guinea hen by various um, pharmaceuticals and whatnot because of the properties for cancer, curing cancer, and all of those kinds of um, different things that the guinea hen, um, the moringa, you know what I mean? Things like that. You're seeing that in a lot of goopy stores mm-hmm. now where, you know, um, spirulina, yeah. you know, that people are now into green juices and all of these, what I call it, super, 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 super greens, <laughs> super greens and all of these things. And that is what these people, the maroons, you know, I could walk out of my house and pick moringa in Jamaica. You know what I mean? But this is what maroons were used to. And that was their medicine in lieu of, you know, having doctors so-and-so visit their community. And my biology side, because like you said, I major in 3,000 different things. I want to be able to, because a lot of these herbs, they only get noticed when they become popular on like TikTok from, you know. I want to be able to research a lot of the properties of these herbs because a lot of them aren't researched. 
You know, it's only research when, of course, they become whitewashed. Mm -hmm. So I have a drink that, and this um, drink, Baba Roots, Mm -hmm. the drink itself has not technically been researched, Mm -hmm. but a lot of Jamaicans swear by this drink and say that it works for stomach and cooling of blood and headaches and stuff like that. So this is kind of what I want to do. I want to be able to research this stuff before I end undergrad. We talked about the exclusion of black knowledge from the mainstream because of the stereotype that was created to denigrate blackness. That means that the black knowledge was not valued. Or inferior. So it was considered inferior and therefore not valuable. Another part of that is that it only becomes valuable when white people takes it up. The appropriation of it is what makes it value. So here are these Jamaicans doing this for thousands of years and... They, you know, because I remember rejecting all the local stuff that I used to eat because I wanted KFC, okay? <laughs> yeah. I wanted McDonald's. <laughs> like, eh. And now all of a sudden, all the people in America want what I was eating, the organic stuff. And there's this thin line between thinking about organic and that question that you're asking about FDA. How do we know how much guinea hen to drink? Yeah that would replace like a Tylenol. So we we're, we might be poisoning ourselves a little bit because we want to be, everyone is obsessed now with being organic and natural. And so, you know, and I'm one of them. <laughs> we might be overdoing these things because we think once it's organic, like people in Jamaica, it's like, yeah, man, yeah, man, you know, cigarette will kill you. Just smoke weed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, uh, is it smoke going into your lungs? <laughs> it's yeah. so small. <laughs> you know? I'm like, I'm like, I don't even, I don't understand that. But I'm just like, it's doing something. Yeah. It's doing something still. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, yeah, man, weed was found on King Solomon Grid. <laughs> it's organic. It's great. And we don't think about those kinds of proportion, what you, given your immune conditions. But all of this, we can't, um, you know, fail to mention this, uh, and I and I want to get your take. Oh. Um, a lot of this was popularized because of this medicine man called Dr. CB. What are your views on Dr. CB? Who is Dr. CB for the listeners, first of all? He was a self-made medicine man. Yeah, who practiced medicine without a medical license. Mm-hmm. And in the black community, legend has it. No, no, no. He was Honduran. Okay. Mm-hmm. But in the black community, legend has it that he cured a lot of people. Michael Jackson, leaves the left Tried eye Tried to get him Lopez, off drugs. And you know, like yeah. um, he got Michael Jackson off of painkillers. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, Nipsey Hussle was working on a documentary on him. That's why the people killed him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> um you know, so he was born in, in Honduras in 1933, immigrated to the United States. Um, and it, it was said that he unsuccessfully, um, um, he was unsuccessfully treated for asthma, obesity and uh, diabetes and impotency. And a herbalist in Mexico um, managed to heal um, Dr. CB. And w- this led him to create his own herbal mixtures, um, which he then came to sell under Dr. CB's cell food, you know? And so he was sued in 1987 for practicing medicine without a license, right? Um, But he was acquitted 
um, when the state could not prove that he had given medical diagnosis, right? Um, and then, so he 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 did all of these things, and there's this this whole idea in the black community of cancer cannot survive in a state of um, uh, alkalinity. So all this alkaline water now that you see proliferating, you see all these different waters, you know, versus acidic conditions. So all of these things are generating from somewhere. So black people in the community, like veganism is very black and uh, very big in the black community, yeah. right? The organic movement, all of this, Rastafarian, some of the early you know, idle people before we started calling it vegan, right? It was idle, practiced by these Rastafarians and people like that. So all of these things are coming out of somewhere. And if you go on Instagram, on YouTube, there's no shortage of people on Etsy, herbs for fibroids, for, you know, has asthma, for lowering your blood pressure, right? And because it has the attachment of organic and natural, and it's coming from a place that is not America, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's grown in the tropics. It gives it the veneer of immediately I'm going to get healed, yeah. you know? And, you know, all of this is now all the rage um, I, I remember lots of Jamaicans, again, because they've seen what the government has done to African-Americans, not taking the vaccine. Yeah. And they were taking guinea hen the whole time. And ginger. And ginger. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So all of these things, you know, has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over time in recent years. Sometimes in the black community, we want something for ourselves so much. Yes. That when there's truth mixed in with a little bit of truth fallacies, yeah, yeah, you know, fallacies. you're like, yeah. they still push it anyway. And that's what I've seen mm-hmm. from him is true. Some truth mixed in with some, some not so true um, information. And that's pretty dangerous when we're talking about medicine. Another thing is when you're talking about appropriation and you kind of touched on it, too, is that, and this may sound a bit contradictory, but I think that in order for us to kind of, I don't know if there's a better way of dealing with appropriation or others capitalizing off the community, but I think black people, the diaspora, or maybe African Americans need to start valuing um, their stuff and themselves. Valuing ourselves and our knowledge, especially from our elders, because... Essentially, during this research, I learned that our ancestors got this, got these herbs and stuff through trial and error. Yeah. So, like, if a cow thought it was good <laughs> and, and it didn't die, <laughs> then they were like, okay, then it's good. Well, we'd like to thank Anaya for this wonderful research, fascinating stuff. And as I said, can't wait to hear what else you discover in this area, bringing all of these different disciplinary approaches together. Thank you for coming to Undiscipline. Thank you. Undiscipline is hosted by Dr. Karee Banton and produced by me, Matthew Moore. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't had a chance yet, make sure to follow or subscribe on your podcast app.